Welcome to More Than a Refresh, a podcast about data and the people who wrangle it. Today we are recording from Astoria, Queens, Las Cruces, New Mexico, and Newburyport, Massachusetts. Our guest is Paul Kachansky. Is that correct? That is correct. Paul, do me a favor. Introduce yourself. A lot of people might know you from the Postgres space, but there's other things in your life now. There are. So Paul Kachansky, and uh, as you mentioned, I live in Newburyport, Massachusetts, which is a really cute port town, one of the first in Massachusetts, just north of Boston. Um, we abut the New Hampshire state as well. And um, as as you know me from being in the, um, the software industry for pretty much all of my career for uh, the last uh, 40 years or so. Uh, more recently, I was with um, Swarm 64 um, as, as a partner with, with you and, and, and other agencies as well. And um, I always had this passion uh, for music. It's been my passion all my life. And um, so I am now the uh, founder and um, chief exec of a tribute show that's gone national, hopefully worldwide soon, um, being a tribute to the music of Foreigner and Journey. Okay, fair enough. So that actually lends into our, our topic today. Our topic is career transformation. Um, there's a lot of people that they may not stay with one employee or one employer, excuse me, but they tend to stay once they get out of college or whatever, they tend to settle in and you've gone from one end of the spectrum to the other. And before we get into that, I have a music story for you. Uh, a few years back when U2 uh, was releasing their uh, Songs of Innocence album. Uh, Amanda, you know, Amanda. Yes. Amanda handed me, it was my birthday and Amanda handed me an envelope. Now, I'm not much of a crier, right? I mean, I mean, I have nothing against men who cry. I don't care. But I'm not much of a crier. And I opened this envelope, and there were two front row tickets to the launch of their worldwide tour in Vancouver, B.C. for that album and that tour. And I burst into tears. <laughs> to- uh-huh. Completely did. I can't believe this. <laughs> um, you too. Um, so foreign, I, I knew, I know foreigner, I know journey, of course. Um, but I grew up in, in a slightly more alternative, uh, area. And so you too, the song that landed me like lifelong fan of you too, is where the streets have no name. Um, and you know, that, that song and that video, it came out and I had to be like 14, I think. And it came out, and there's Bono up on top of this liquor store doing an impromptu concert in downtown L.A., and he became my hero. And I have followed him ever since. Um, And then, of course, Journey. Journey is a great band to get a woman to cuddle with you. Uh, And Foreigner, well, I mean, come on. So talk to me. Talk to me a little bit about your how do you i mean you love music but you were in tech and sales how did you go from okay i'm a swarm 64 startup we're funded we're doing well to i'm a doing a cover band 
<laughs> it's funny. I mean, hopefully uh, it's a good story, right? It's a positive story. Not a, I had not, I could. I... No. Well, well, you know, it's funny. I, I, you know, being in channel sales and sales in the software industry, pretty much right out of college. Um, I never really gave up my, my passion and everyone has a passion in their life. You know, some people golf, some people play tennis, mm -hmm. some people travel like yourself. Um, and, but I never gave up music and I've always played in cover bands on and off through the years, obviously, um, you know, unless you go for it, as they say in the music business and, um, try to go professional all the way, it doesn't, it can't support a family. So obviously the software industry, I've been very, um, grateful to have been with some really good companies. One company I was with for 22 years, if you can believe that in sales. I, <laughs> and that's on Maybe not that part. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's in, in, um, the channel sales business has been fantastic. Um, and, and I always said, you know, someday if I ever have an opportunity, um, I'd love to really give it a shot. You know, here I am at the point in my career and I, and I'm saying to myself, geez, I wish I had done this when I was 20 years old. But then again, my whole life could have changed completely as you can imagine. Right. So, um, after swarm, we had a really good company, you know, the history of swarm. Um, and we had an opportunity to, um, uh, the company was acquired by ServiceNow, as you know, and it gave me an opportunity to really reflect on what I wanted to do for the next step. And I have been getting inundated with calls to join other various companies, you know, employment agencies and whatnot. And I, I said, you know what, I've, I started this foreigner journey journey, if you want to say, about four to five years ago. And it was just a weekend thing. And it started to, to, to take off, to get legs. And, um, you know, we went through a couple of changes in personnel. And um, it got to the point a couple of years ago, just during COVID, that I happened to recruit a new singer. We, we needed a singer. Our singer had gotten married and moved down to Florida. Um, and so we needed somebody else. And I happened to come across uh, of all places on YouTube, this individual, uh, Constantine Maroulis, who was an American Idol finalist in one of the early seasons. And he also went off after American Idol and went to Broadway and he was in Rock of Ages. He was in Jekyll and Hyde, uh, the lead actor. So that was his passion. But at the time, obviously, um, COVID happened, Broadway shut down. So he was looking for something and I just out of the blue called him. Like I'd call you on your cell phone. I called him, I got a hold of his cell phone and we chatted and he ended up coming to Boston here. We rehearsed, hit it off. And all of a sudden the tribute business started to take off after COVID. It's, it's incredible. So we're not just, we're not a cover band, so to speak, anymore. We've incorporated some songs from the Rock of Ages show he did on Broadway. And so we've spanned um, kind, of, kind of the 80s genre, but we've added some songs from Queen. We've added some songs from Toto. 
and he's made it like a, a, a Broadway stage play. It's incredible. We've even had dancers come on some of our shows at some of the performances and we only do theaters um, or corporate oh. events. You know, we're actually being in Las Vegas uh, in mid-April at the Venetian doing a corporate event. So it's taken having having the heritage we had with the success of doing weekend shows. We migrated when Constantine came aboard. It brought us up a whole different level and brought us nationwide. So now <clears throat> I looked at myself and I said, geez, this thing could be my new full-time job. And that's exactly what evolved out of it. So I run everything, you know, all the business in the background. I handle all the agencies that book us, um, all the traveling. So I coordinate kind of like a tour manager. Um, but but what's really great is when we get there and we have a two-hour show, it's like heaven. It's real enjoyment. And that's my passion. So it's come true after all these years. <laughs> well, and congratulations for that. Um, I I want to zone in on or zoom in on your comment. You could have done this in your 20s, but your life would have taken a different turn, most likely. And that's true. I mean, anytime you make a choice and you look back, you make a different choice. Chances are things aren't going to turn out the way they you thought they would. But I'm in a similar situation, although I have been with the same company since uh, 97, incorporated since 2000. That's really more by survival because I'm infinitely unemployable. I, it just... It, I'm one of these people, I mean, it, 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 I've had offers and, you know, I tell them, look, it's not that I don't find what you're saying compelling. It's not that I don't appreciate the compensation we're talking about, but let me ask you something. If you say to me, I want to do ABC and I say, that's not a good idea. And then you say, I don't care. I'm doing it anyway. And I say, you're a moron. Is that going to get me fired? <laughs> infinitely unemployable now i'm older now and i would obviously say it in a more politically correct way uh but i i don't do things i don't want to do that's really what it boils down to if i don't think it's a good idea i'm not going to do it if i don't think it's ethical i'm not going to do it yep. um so that makes me pretty unemployable because most companies you have to make compromises for that paycheck um, but when we talk about that, the, the thing I think that we should hold on to is, you know, as you mentioned, travel, you know, I've been in this school bus, this schoolie for six months. Um, and we're getting to the tail end of this trip. Um, we're going to start heading toward, you know, our home base in Washington here in a few weeks. Yeah. Um, but this is something I wouldn't have been able to do in my twenties. I mean, sure, I could have done it in my 20s, but I would have been in the van down by the river, right? I would have been poor. I would have been begging. I would have been trying to make gas money. If the van broke down, that's my home. It's over, right? So I've reached a point now where although there is risk, if the, if the bus breaks down, I can pay to have it towed. Yeah. I can have it fixed. If I can't afford to have it fixed, it's not the end of the world. I'll build another one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And those aren't things that you necessarily get to do when you and I didn't have gray hair. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's it's you know, it, it, I would have loved to do it in my 20s because, you know, you have 
a possibility of a real, real good career ahead of you. Sure. The, the, the trouble with, with in, in, in some of what you say is actually true. You're kind of governed by promoters in the music business. You're governed by agencies that book you. Um, and, and when you're alone out there and not managing and owning the, this group like I do now, um, you're kind of at the um, you're kind of at the whims of somebody else running the band. I mean, it, it, you look at Journey and what they're going through right now, and it's kind of sad because you know the guitar player Neil Sean owns the Journey band. He owns it. He mm -hmm. started it. He owns it, and he's been firing some of the original people left and right. There's money issues. They're all in court against each other. And, and so you're always at somebody else's mercy if you don't own, you know, the, the thing that you're doing. And, and I found, thank, thankfully, you know, I've gone to work for some really good companies and yes, you're right. There's some things that you just can't say and do for the fear of being fired or, or, or something else happening and then you gotta move on. So what I found here though, is that I do call the shots and I do right. manage the band and I can fire people as I wish if they don't fit the group for one reason or another. But I do also relish the fact that I can count on this group of, of individuals that I play with now. They all want to succeed. They're, yes, they're a little older except for one individual. Uh, he's about 30 years old and he's a full-time musician. So he relies on this for income. Uh, the rest of us love the income, but that's not the passion. Our passion is to play music and, and we want to be good so that we will get booked in really great places. And the more you do that, the more money you make It kind of goes, goes hand in hand. And we've brought this, this group. Uh, to the point of doing that right now. And, and the nice thing is, is control. I love the fact that I can control basically what's going to happen moving forward with the band. Uh, if I don't want to, if I feel a certain venue isn't the right venue for us, either because of location or timing or money or whatever it takes, I tell the agent, no, we're not available. And then we move on to the next one. So when I was a 20, I probably couldn't have done that um, and, and survived. <laughs> it's interesting you bring that up. Um, I watched a documentary of the late, great Tom Petty. And he, uh, he talked about how he really pushed. He, they made it big pretty quick, um, but they were very young. And he pushed back and won on what he pushed back on with the, with the labels. But in retrospect, he actually says, you know, I was probably wrong to dig in on that one. Right. And the point being is that as we get older, hopefully we become wiser, more patient, and we can be reflective on the decisions that we're making in terms of, instead of being in that exact moment, we look at a wider picture of how this is going to, you know, affect your entire band or your family or, or even the promoter, you know, those types of things. Um, so you mentioned that you only do corporate events and theaters. Have you ever considered festivals? Not like a Burning Man, 
but smaller festivals. Um, yeah, we're actually, it's funny you say that because just recently we were approached to do a couple of festivals, one up in Maine and one in New York. Um, the, the, so, so being a rock show, we have to make sure we're picking the right festivals. And that, sure. that's key to, that's key to, to, to success. Cause you don't want to get pigeonholed to being just another cover band. Cause we're not that anymore. We really are a show band, um, featuring the music of foreign journey and other tunes out of rock of ages and whatnot. But yes, the answer is yes. We're, we're considering, we're even doing a, um, uh, it's not, so to speak, a, um, that type of event. It's it's a um, amphitheater out in Vista, California. I'm not sure you know where that is. It's by San Diego. Uh, mm-hmm. And we got booked in April to do a big outdoor um, amphitheater in Vista. It holds a couple of thousand people. And then the next night, we're going to be at the Bourbon Room in Hollywood. So, mm-hmm. and that's been... It's been my passion to play in Hollywood for a long time. And finally, we're going to be able to do that. So so the answer is yes to festivals. We just have to make sure it's the right kind of festival for us. Well, I, I actually grew up in San Diego. Oh. oh. So I, yeah, I'm, I, I basically, I was in San Diego until I was 15. And then I moved to the armpit of Oregon, which is Newburgh. I made it there about a year and a half. And then I moved to Portland. And then I just slowly move north every like a little bit further north and farther away from Newburgh every say five years <laughs> um <clears throat> no but running around san diego when i was a kid i remember there's uh you know back then the border fence was not complete and so it was not hard to just you're in mexico you're in san diego you're in mexico <laughs> you're in san diego um i would never do that now but back then you could um, so talk to me a little bit, uh, well, uh, first on the festival things, the reason I brought it up is because over the past six months, um, I have somehow found myself at the center of the largest um, vehicle life festival in North America. Uh, it's called Schoolie Palooza, and it, ju- it happened back in January, and right now it's a largely community-organized event. Um, but we've had 400 schoolies and about six, 700 other like vans, RVs, class A's. We even had a boat that showed up. And the funny thing about the boat is that we were in the middle of the Arizona desert. So <laughs> this guy towed in a boat and camped out in the boat at this festival. Um, and we, we have a sound, you know, what we call sound circus where all the Indies come and they can play and you play for tips. It's not a commercial thing. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, I'm going to approach you for this, but I was curious because there's other ones out there that are very well known, um, that might be more up your alley. Um, you know, like there's Northwest Nomads and there's Chasm Fest and all these other nomad artistic type festivals. Uh, but you know, we'll take that offline. Um, do me a favor. Talk to me with your time in sales, right? I mean, because you and I are not young men. We're not old men, but we're not young men. So you've got, you have exp- quite a decades, right, of experience in sales. How does that help you in your music? 
So, so I think the, the biggest help um, that it has provided for me in the music business is to identify things that are appropriate for our group, our musical group, and things that are not appropriate. Um, it also has helped me in communication efforts with the venues, the agencies, the promoters, the buyers. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes in the music. We even booked through Live Nation, which I'm sure you've heard of, mm -hmm. uh, because some of the venues actually use Live Nation as their buyers. So what it's done is in sales, you always have to obviously identify an opportunity. That's number one. And then you've got to go through and identify, you know, who the gatekeepers are, right? Who the decision makers are, all those things that go into sales 101. And then obviously to close the business uh, with the end user or the prospect. And I've taken that. And, and applied it to the music industry from the business standpoint, not from playing on stage and having fun on my keyboard, but more of identifying, as I mentioned earlier, what's the right venues to play, who are the right promoters and buyers to work with. Uh, and ultimately we have to submit um, what we have in our you know, assets, because we have a, a whole list of assets, which are videos on YouTube. We have a promotional video. You know, we have uh, a lot of riders, hospitality riders, um, technical riders. Um, if we fly into venues like the ones we're doing out West, they need to provide backline. So they provide all our equipment. So we don't drive out there with a bus. We fly in okay. and all the stuff set up. So all of that, um, in the sales world has helped me identify the right things to pursue, how to pursue them, and then how to close the business. You know, it's interesting. Um, I bet Billy Joel would like to have a conversation with you. Um, <laughs> so Billy Joel. I'd like to, I've met him by the way. Did you? I, years and years ago, now about this, about 10 years ago, we did a boat trip, my family and I. We went to Long Island and we stayed in, um, at a marina in Long Island and we ended up going to Sag Harbor. Well, I knew at the time, uh, Billy Joel's a big boater. He actually had a customized lobster boat built for him, named after one of his daughters. And so we went to Sag Harbor where he, he hangs out a lot and we're walking up Main Street and I look in the window of this little lunch place and there's Billy Joel sitting right in the window having lunch. I couldn't believe it. So we're, we're waving to him and everything. You know, we're trying not to be too, too much. I didn't end up talking to him, but at least I got to meet him. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So I, I've seen him in concert, but um, when he came to Seattle a few years back before the COVID, before yeah. COVID um, and I have also listened to some of his stories and he talks about the story of piano man and the story of piano man is basically, he ended up in a bad deal. He didn't have the expertise that you have to sign a proper deal. Yeah. Which in this particular case, if you think about it, didn't work out too badly for him overall. I mean, piano man, I mean, as we sat 
listen, when he launched that in sold out Seattle Stadium, uh, he didn't sing it. The crowd sang it to him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, so from one perspective, I mean, talk about t- taking something bad and turning it into something good. But, and, you know, like you said, when we're young, we make different decisions and maybe they don't work out as well. But that particular bad decision worked out pretty well for him. <laughs> it did. But if you read his history, which you said you have, you also, yep. you know, learned that, you know, his management really screwed him early on. And mm-hmm. I think that was, that's happened to many, many players. If you read what's happened to a lot of them. They got screwed by their management because the contracts they sign, you know, when you're young and impressionable and you want to make it big, you'll sign anything on the dotted line. And yes, you start playing and all of a sudden your record takes off and you're playing, you're touring all over the world and they're taking the majority of the money. And, and what they did was they actually owned the publishing rights to the songs. And that's a big mistake Mm -hmm. early young artists made that they don't own their publishing rights. So come time for them to cash in on the songs, a lot of them had to sue their management agencies and Billy Joel did that. And he actually won. Took him many years to win um, the rights. And, And now what's happening, the trend, if you notice, a lot of these artists are selling their publishing right. Bruce Springsteen just got 200 million. Bob Dylan. For his stuff. So, so we, you have to be knowledgeable. And I think with age, with maturity, with learning the business, you realize uh, the things you should be signing, read the fine print and all that stuff. And I do that with, with our band. We sign contracts for every single venue we play with every single buyer, uh, with every any promoter we work with. And I go through all the contracts. So that I have taken, as you know, in channel sales, uh, I had to read through every single contract. So that's been helpful as well in this business. Well, also as a young musician, um, one, there's a good chance that you don't even have enough knowledge, right? To actually even read a contract and know what it says. Right. Legalese is is incredibly intricate and can mean a different thing by a simple thing. Um, so there's that challenge. But also when you're younger, I mean, you can be a little bit impetuous, right? You're like, I just want to play music. I'll, I, I don't need to worry about this. And then, like yeah. you said, it takes off. And all of a sudden, you know, you aren't you. You're just a product. Right. Because the way some of these companies run and then you want and then you're 35 and you're like, you take a step back and you're like, well, okay, now now I see what's going on. But you again, you were just a product. They'll just replace you. Yeah. Um, Which I I find. A little morally reprehensible, frankly, I think that we need to be investing more in people, especially artists of all kinds, Um, because without without art and, and all art. Right, whether it's ceramics, whether it's landscaping, whether it's music, without art, our culture is dead. I mean, we might as well all just be Instagram influencers and hope that Google or Meta pays us a, you know, an advertising check. Well, there's another piece to this too. You you touched on something that we as real musicians we play we play everything live, from the mm-hmm. vocals <clears throat> to the, the 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 instruments. 
um, everything, vocal harmonies, nothing's manufactured, nothing's synthesized. The trend we see in the industry today is, is sad in some cases where they, they track their vocals, they track their music. So basically you press a key on a computer and it plays all in the background. A, 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 probably a good example of that was what happened with Rihanna um, at the Super Bowl. If you watch that <laughs> halftime show, she was actually singing out of sync with the track. So they tracked and she's got a great voice and live she's, she's great. There's no question, but for some reason they didn't do it live at the Super Bowl. And it was sad because there was one part that she wasn't even singing and yet her voice was coming out over the TV. That's because they track that stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and we, we find that with in our business with the tribute in the tribute world or even cover bands today, um, that they track a lot of their, their performances. So it's not real, it's not live. You know, they press a button and it's all pre-recorded behind them, but they have to keep in step. So they have what they call a click track. And it's a click, mm -hmm. they wear in-ear monitors and they click to keep in time with the track so they don't go out of time. It's just bizarre, the music industry, and, and I relish the fact that, number one, we play all our music. We make a mistake, we make a mistake. If we don't sound good in certain songs, we don't sound good. But you know, it's real, it's live. And I think people love that. People love the, the liveliness. And as far as yeah. arts, you know, I wanna bring this up because before I forget it, you mentioned arts is, is really key to, you know, kids today growing up. We actually worked with a promoter a couple of years ago um, and he lined up a bunch of uh, venues at the high school level. And they were in a high school auditorium. And we were asked to play. And we had the high school band play behind us oh, nice. on certain songs. And it was all donated charity to the high school to, um, to help promote arts uh, in, in the high school. And it was amazing the turnout. You know, we had you know, 600 to 1,000 students and their families and whatnot attend these performances we game and we had their local high school bands play behind us. And it was just so, it was just so great to do something like that, to give back to the community. No, that's, I mean, that's fantastic. Um, you know, back on the tracking point, uh, before I forget, um, I don't think that's necessarily a, a new trend. I mean, most people probably don't remember this, but I bet you and I do. Millie Vanilli. Yeah, oh, yes. <laughs> right? Um, and anytime you were on, say, The Letterman Show, you know, you weren't singing live. You were on a track. True. Um, but I think it takes away from something. So an example you know, you said Rihanna. Now, I, I'm not a, I don't listen to her music, but I, I clearly know who she is. Um, but, you know, let's take a look at one of, and you don't even have to like this gentleman's music, but he was one of the performers of our lifetime. And he did a Super Bowl show in the rain. You know who I'm talking about? Prince. Prince. Yes. <laughs> right. I think that if you would have told Prince to track, he'd be like, you know what? I'm going to sing row, row your boat and you're going to like it. <laughs> you <That's know? laughs> right. 
Oh, and I'll tell you, that was in the history of Super Bowls. I think that and Michael Jackson was probably the best halftime shows I have ever seen. They were just, they just knocked it out, knocked it completely live performances. And I know there was others like Bon Jovi played. That was live as well. Um, But Prince, Prince was by far, I think, one of the best. With Prince, there was a couple of things that, you know, like when I I watched an interview about it and like, we weren't worried about Prince performing badly. That was not the concern. The concern was all the electrical wires, all the power. What if he slipped, you know, all that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, But he, I mean, I don't watch football, but I've seen that video many times. It is unbelievably impressive. Yes. Um, So let me ask you, what, you know, you you've been you've been in channel sales. You now have this foreigner journey. Uh, for is it is it's foreigner's journey, correct? Correct. Foreigner's journey. Okay. Um, is there anything you miss from corporate life, as they call it? Um, <laughs> a steady paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I I have to say that because you know. The music business, we may be booked one day for a little less money, one one weekend for a little more money, or we don't play. Like this weekend, we're off, and we're playing. I'll be in um, Maryland at a um, big casino live theater in Maryland, in Hanover, Maryland, on the 2nd of March. And then the 3rd, we're at the Lavoie Theater in Millville, New Jersey. So, But this coming weekend, we're off. No, no shows. So that part of it. Uh, I kind of miss, you know, it was always, um, besides a steady paycheck, it was always on the go. Um, I kind of manage my own time now, so I don't have somebody else managing my time, which I favor. But in the corporate world, you have to succumb to other people's time, timelines. You know, if I have a call with a partner or you really, it's their time that you're asking for, um, you have you know, weekly um, forecast meetings or monthly forecast meetings, quarterly. Um, so, you know, I, I, I kind of like my schedule and kind of like you, your schedule on your own time. And, and that's really nice. But I do miss uh, some of the interaction with people that I've had in the corporate world. There are some great people that I'm still in touch with um, 15, 20 years later, they work for consultancy firms, and I'm still in touch. In fact, I'm meeting in Connecticut in mid-May, uh, the CEO of um, uh, in a, a consultancy firm out of India that I was partnered with when I was at Talend years ago, and that was 10 years ago, and he owns a condo in Stanford, even though he's from India, and he's coming to the U.S. because he... he um, he he released some some applications, HR applications, and he's promoting them here. And he calls me up from India and said, hey, you're close to Connecticut. Come and meet me. So we're going to go meet for dinner. I mean, That's these great. are the kind of relationships I do miss from the corporate world. No, you know, it's funny you say, you know, you like having controlling your schedule. I don't control my schedule. Amanda controls <laughs> my schedule. <laughs> you're lucky. <laughs> but let's let's be very clear. I wish I controlled my schedule. That is not the case. Uh, I like to pretend 
I like to stomp my feet sometimes and, and say, I, I am the owner of this. I should be able to. And then she looks at me and I realize I am heading down a bad path. So I don't <laughs> control my schedule. Um, not at all. Um, so when did you start playing music? Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> I was seven years old. Seven okay. years old. Yeah. And I took um, I took probably six or seven years of classical music and theory um, and then got into rock and roll when I was like 15 years old. And I never looked back. Did you um, have a mullet? Um, I had long hair back then. I, I didn't have a mullet, but I had long hair. I kind of look, it's funny. I look like you, I, I don't know if you saw pictures of, uh, even Billy Joel back in his early, early years, right? When he wrote Piano Man, I had hair like him, <laughs> kind of bushed out a little, you know, but, um, so yeah, so, so I, I, um, and it's funny because I, I, even though I can read music and play off of charts. That's not what I do. I, I've, you know, uh, you know, very luckily able to listen to a song and pick out my keyboard parts uh, within a half an hour well, of listening to a song. That's so a gift. I play, I play, I play by ear. Uh, although I can read music, I can write music, but that's not what we do here. We all play by ear in the band, which is nice. That, yeah, that's that's a real gift. Um, so. You miss the relationships. I, I know what that's, I mean, when COVID hit, I mean, as you know, we're really big into the conferences. Um, and when all those shut down, all the meetups shut down, I mean, people that I had seen two, three, six times a year, every year for the past 15 years, I still haven't seen, right? It just, yeah. the world shifted. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about Foreigner's journey. I mean, obviously, I mean, younger folks, if you don't know who Foreigner and Journey is, please, God, go expand your music catalog. Um, but why? I mean, really, it's it's funny to me. I mean, so I have an almost 20-year-old daughter and almost 18-year-old daughter, and I have a 28-year-old son. Um, and it, it's my almost 18-year-old daughter. Uh, I always creep her out because we listen to a lot of the same music. I have a tendency to keep my music catalog current um, as well as enjoy all the oldies. Um, but Foreigner and Journey, although they came, they come from the same era, their music's, uh, they're, they're not the same genre. Well, I mean, globally, they're the same genre, but their subgenres are different. I mean, what, Foreigner's a little bit more rock and roll. Journey's a little bit more love story you know talk to You're me right. why why those two well first of all um prior to launching this particular um band i had a journey band we were called captured the journey show captured was one of journey's albums and that's all we played was journey music which we love because it's kind of a mix of some you know um, rock ballads, that's what they're known for with Steve Perry singing faithfully and, you know, open arms and lights and all those classic hits, right? But what I found was 
we were having to start playing B-side songs in order to fill a whole night's worth. Because we play anywhere from 90 minutes to 120 minutes, depending on the venue. So we do one set or two sets. To do a two-set show with just one tribute is is difficult. And you you have to play songs that the public may not recognize or know. Mm-hmm. So I had I had a brain fart one day and I said, Jesus, what if we added another tribute, not becoming a cover band, but to do a tribute to two of the biggest arena rock groups of all times? And I selected Foreigner. I just thought we needed that rock edge, more of rock than the ballad. And you're right, Journey is more ballady, rock ballads. They have some some hardcore rock stuff sure. as well. But Foreigner was that nice mix. And when we added Foreigner together, it was interesting. And I think that's why we're so successful. We can play a whole night, two-hour show, one-hour, one-and-a-half-hour show, and all we play are their hits. And so what that does is it allows people of all age brackets, because who doesn't know Don't Stop Believing, right? I mean, every other kids know it. It's all (laughs) over the place, right? Or hot-blooded. They're hot-blooded from Foreigner, or I want to know what love is, right? Or feels like the first time, right? So... We, we started mashing up these songs, and we don't play one set of foreign and one set of journey. We mash them up. And, and our routine is we chain them together. So we'll do four or five songs. We'll do a journey, a foreigner, journey of all their hits. And people go nuts. You know, jukebox hero. I mean, everybody knows it. And then we take a break, and then Constantine does his, you know, does his thing, talking to the crowd. And of course, he was nominated. Uh, for, for two Grammy, uh, not, uh, not Grammy Awards, um, in the, the Broadway era, uh, what do you call them? Tony Awards. Oh, Tony. So he was yeah. nominated for two Tony Awards, and he didn't get them, but he was nominated, uh, plus his American Idol heritage. And so he goes and talks to the crowd, and everybody knows him. It's just amazing. So we have that transition, and then we, he, he, he talks, and and he, he says, you know, when I was doing Rock of Ages, there was this one girl that I fell in love with. And what was her name? And I start playing Oh Sherry, the intro ah. to Oh Sherry. And that was, again, not a Journey song. That was a Steve Perry song, but a big hit. And and the, the place goes nuts when we go into that. And they say, oh, my God, Oh Sherry. And he starts singing it. So what that's done is it enabled us to really have a show, not just being a cover band. And now what we've even done is a couple of months ago, um, I don't know if you know this, but Journey is on tour with Toto Mm -hmm. for this year. In fact, I have tickets March 4th, the week from Saturday. I have seventh row tickets to go see Journey and Toto in Hartford, Connecticut. So we're coming we're coming back from our New Jersey show, and the drummer and I got tickets to go see Toto and Journey in Hartford on the way back. So we're going to go do that. But it's it's funny because we've now mashed up three of Toto's biggest hits, and you can imagine what they are, right? Rosanna, 
Africa, and Hold the Line. Those were their three hits. And we now do what they call a snippet matchup. So that's something that was my brainchild a couple of months ago saying, well, wait a minute, they're on tour together. Let's do a couple of Toto songs. What were their biggest hits? Boom. And so we do four minute song and we put in snippets of each one of those. And it's just, again, the crowd goes, oh my God, you're playing Africa. <laughs> so, so yeah you it's interesting now i'm going to say something here and i do i'm trying to figure out how to say it correctly because i want my intent to be known the playing all their popular hits right you're right that's a win because everybody knows you know jukebox hero right it's, they've heard it whether it's the whether it's their mother singing it to white wine while cooking dinner or, you know, they've heard it. Um, and I was just thinking back to U2 for a moment. That could be challenging with U2. Because if you think about Joshua Tree versus Acton Baby versus Pop versus, uh, uh, you know, Songs of Innocence, there are certain things that they have that are um, complementary, but they very much, or, or Rattle and Hum, right? There's very much a... They experiment a lot more, and and I would I'm curious, like what would it be like to hear where the streets have no name, and then until the end of the world, and then like a B side of Luminous Times, and then something from Pop, which is a very most most people don't even know that that album exists, right? Um, it's it. it it would be more difficult, I think. I mean, would you say that because, I mean, that isn't to say that Foreigner and, and Journey didn't have their B-sides or their, you know, transitions into other genres, but they're known specifically for who, what you said, right? The ballads and, you know, the rock and roll. Do you think that there could be a more eclectic that people would recognize? You know, it. Um, we were doing B, so we know a ton of B and C side songs. It's interesting. And the times we've played them, you've got, you got to picture this. These people are paying 30 to $40 a ticket, right? So when you start experimenting with things they don't know, there's kind of a lull. And, mm -hmm. and the last thing you want to do is lose your audience, right? You really don't want to lose sure. your audience because then they'll never come back and see you again or very rarely. And, and so, so when we were playing these B-sides, only the diehard Journey fans or the diehard Foreigner fans would, would know those songs. And that became a little problematic because, you know, we, don't, we didn't want to lose the audience. And today what we find is, even with the Rock of Ages stuff we're doing and the Toto stuff we're doing, People know the song. They sing along. They start clapping. They stand up and start dancing. Um, however, from a musician's standpoint, we would love to do something that's not, quote, unquote, a popular song. Do something that's a little different, like you mentioned, and experiment with it or play something that's a B or C side that was a good song, but people may not recognize it. And who knows, maybe we will throw in some of those over time. But right now, we're just captivating our audience. So we got to do what we do. Well, 
And I would think it, it, there's one difference. It, 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 one, you mentioned you're not a cover band, you're a show, right? So there's a certain energy that you're trying to keep throughout the show. And I assume that that energy has a flow to it. Basically, you know, you're coming down into, for example, when your your lead singer addresses the crowd and then you lead into Oh Sherry and, you know, it's a certain the path you're taking them through is more reminiscence than exploration. Correct. That, is that a, okay. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. For example, even faithfully. So we do faithfully by journey. It was probably one of the biggest wetty songs in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, what, what he announces is there's another meaning for faithfully. And, and that is we, we give honor to, people in the service, the frontline providers, people overseas in service. And he announces that, that this song is dedicated to those frontline providers, um, you know, the, the emergency providers, people in the military. He says, how many people in the military? And you'd be surprised, you know, some people are in the military that's in the audience. And he dedicates to that. And then he walks out in the stage and he sings to the crowd walking up and down the aisle. It's just amazing, um, but it's a, it's a song that people can reflect on faithfully. They probably had it at their wedding for, for all we know, right? right? So those are the little things that make us, keep us on track. That's fair. Um, so how, how have you evolved the band or you know, the show? Um, we talked a little bit about it. You said that, you know, initially it was kind of a cover band, but now it's become a real show. Um, you know, when you said show for, for whatever reason, what popped in my head was circus circus Soleil or whatever it's called. <laughs> and somehow I don't think you have trapeze artists, although that would be interesting. No. <laughs> um, uh, I think you're, you're probably, and I am too, too old to be on a trapeze. Um, but how, how's it evolved and how did the pandemic, I mean, I mean, there's the obvious one. I mean, there was no shows, right, with the pandemic. Yeah, it was, so, well, so, yeah. I look, so it's interesting. You, I get asked this a lot. What, what did you guys do during the pandemic? First of all, the band started off five, four, five years ago, and we were playing clubs, lot, you know, large clubs. We had a little history where we had a journey band. So this was just, hey, this is a reincarnation of our old journey band. We're called foreigner's journey now and then we started playing larger clubs and then then all of a sudden we started getting into in this area some local theaters maybe four or five hundred seat theaters like music what they call music hall that's what mm -hmm. they call them where you can go have dinner and then go see a show right right and we started evolving our music to coincide with these larger venues, which ultimately led to the big theaters. We're playing thousand to 2000 seat theaters now, which is just an incredible, but it's because our music evolved with it. And one of the things it's, it's, you always have to keep refreshing things. It's kind of like the soft, think of a software company. You can't have one product forever and think you're going to survive. You got competition, you got this, you got that. So you got to evolve your software to make it better, do more things and everything we've done in our Hold career. On. I have to interject here. 
You don't have to. Windows has always been bad. I don't know why they keep making it worse. Okay. <laughs> I guess you up. don't. It, if it ain't, there's some things you don't have to fix. But I do agree with you. I mean, for example, if you played the same set, like you went on tour, played 20 shows, 20 cities, uh, or theaters, and then the next year you did the exact same thing. Chances are the third year they're not coming back. You got Correct. you got to shake it up. You got to do something different. I mean, what should be predictable is the quality of the show, not the show yeah. itself. That's correct. That's exactly correct. One and and as we led from as we grew into these theaters, now we added, you know, Constantine during COVID. We were not shut down. There's a venue here called Tupelo Music Hall, holds about 700. We've been playing there for quite a few years. Well, because those venues closed down because of COVID, they were the first in the U.S. to start these drive-in shows. So they have a huge, huge parking lot. They were the first in the country. And since we used to draw inside in their venue pre-COVID, they asked us to start performing. We did nine shows that summer of COVID, 2020. We sold out every one of them. And the way they did it is they got all the permits necessary. They got the okay from medical and whatnot. And they would have cars come into their parking lot and the cars would be spaced one parking space apart. So there was always socially distanced cars, social distance cars. And then you could sit outside your car, but only on the driver's side with like oh, just regular, okay. you know, beach chairs or, or whatever. And then on stage, we had to remain certain feet apart from each other. And there was a barrier that was 20 feet out from the stage. We didn't want people walking up to the stage. And then the, the venue itself would have golf carts. And they'd bring out food. So whoever bought, wanted to buy food, they had a barbecue set up with under a tent and they'd bring golf carts out to each car and drop off food. It was incredible. And the owner was telling us he's, he was bombarded by venues all across the US when he was the first one to start. And it was successful. We did nine shows, as I mentioned, and sold it out. Crazy. Well, but now you. we- Go ahead. Go ahead. I no, I wanted saying. to say Evolvement, just to finish off on Evolvement. So you're right. In the entertainment business, you have to keep freshening up your show all the time. You can't play the same sets over and over and over again. And the quality needs to be there. You're right. But because we've now added, like I mentioned, Toto. So we've changed. We've added these songs that people had no idea. Oh, my God, you're Foreigner Journey. You're doing Toto. You're doing Rock of Ages songs, Right. But also, we added a sax player last year. So that was a nice change. And Foreigner has sax in a lot of their songs. And now our sax player, who is a professional, he actually auditioned for The Real Foreigner years ago. Didn't get the gig, but he auditioned. <laughs> Well-known. And he actually went on tour with Debbie Gibson. I don't know if you remember Debbie Gibson back in oh, the yeah. 80s. Yeah, he was her sax player all over the world. So he lives in Long Island. And it was a referral. We were looking for a sax player and he wasn't playing any. Debbie Gibson doesn't tour that much anymore. He was looking for some local shows to stay more local. And uh, we hired him. And 
And now he's added some sax into some of the Journey songs where it's appropriate. And it sounds fantastic. So people now are experienced every time they come to see a show, it's something different and they love it. No, I, I, I love that you're making it your own. Um, the, what you said about how, you know, the, the car, the drive-in show, right? I miss those days. Like I saw E.T. at a drive-in. When it came out. Okay. Um, and there's only a handful of drive-ins left in the United States. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I think I would go to the movies more if I could just go well, not in the bus, but in my truck, right? <laughs> well, you could. You um, take up a lot of room. <laughs> well, so the problem with the bus, the bus could actually be really cool if I could park it sideways, right? Because <laughs> we have the way the bed's laid out, it faces the old uh, handicap lift door. Uh-huh. So you could open the handicap lift door and we would be laying down back with our feet up watching the show. That would be pretty mm-hmm. cool. That's cool. Um, yeah. But it, it seems to me like I, we don't like to go to the theater anymore. Um, you know, yeah. last time we were at a theater, well, I take that back. We did homage. We had to go see Top Gun Maverick in the theater. We did see Top Gun Maverick in the theater. But before that, it was like John Wick 2. Um, and, <laughs> you know, some couple brought their five-year-old son to see John Wick 2. Wow. And we had, to, yeah, we told, well, don't get me wrong. I mean, it, it, we went to the theater and said, look, you got a five-year-old in there. And they immediately came in and said, you guys can't be here. Um, But <laughs> it's, it, it, no, I mean, look, I mean, I am not, you know, grandma, shake your finger. But the reality is, is John Wick is not PG-13. Right. We're not talking. We're not talking about a stretch. Right. We're not talking about, okay, they might drop an F-bomb. No big deal. We're talking about he kills a city. Yeah. Five year olds don't need to see that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That being said, now that I'll get off my pedestal a little bit. um, So. We know about your time as head of global sales at Swarm 64. Now. I'm going to poke at you a little bit. it can be argued that that was not successful because Swarm 64 no longer exists. <laughs> but well, you were bought you were bought out. I, I'll grant you that. But uh, you know, if <laughs> um, do you have any other roles beyond you know satisfying your adolescent dreams? Um. I mean, I, yes, well, it's more of, um, you know, it's something that I've been doing all my life too, along with music is I've been boating. Like you travel in your RV, Uh, we boat all over the place. Uh, We have a power boat and we go to Nantucket every year. In fact, I'm just making reservations for 4th of July. We've been doing that for 25 years. been to Long Island, Martha's Vineyard, usually the Northeast Coast is is where we boat. And the boats, you know, it's got accommodations like your RV. It's got three staterooms, you know, two um, heads, bathrooms. Uh, it's got a full galley, kitchen, air conditioning, heat, the whole bit. 
So we, we treat it as our condo on the water, so to speak. So that's been something that I've, I've been boating on the water all, all my life. And my wife oh. is an avid boater too. So since we got married, we've been boating. So when you say boating, I mean, for those that don't know, there are different types of boating. I mean, there's the Jeff Bezos level boating, which yeah. is not really boating as much <laughs> that's as yachting. That's yachting. That, that, that's yachting. Not, I mean, that's not even yachting, right? I've been on a yacht. That's that's like a floating skyscraper, right? I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, he's got a cruise ship, right? I mean, all to himself. Um, but, and then, you know, obviously sailing. Um, when you boat, do you, do you go out for weeks at a time, days at a time, months at a time? So our, when we take the long trips, like I mentioned, Nantucket, we're gone for nine days, nine to 10 days, okay. almost two weeks. Um, there are some places we go, like we'll go into Boston, probably an hour and a half by water into Boston. It's beautiful ride. And we stay right, right in the heart of the city, right in the North end, the Italian North end, because there's a <laughs> beautiful Marina there. We'll go for the weekend. So a lot of them, we go to Provincetown, which is the tip of Cape Cod. And that's mm -hmm. been a normal stop for us for years and years. We go every summer, sometimes twice a summer. That'll be a full weekend. We may extend it to a long weekend. Um, but the longer so journey, to, it takes right. five and a half to six hours to motor to Nantucket from where we are in Newburyport. And we go on the outside of Cape Cod. So you're out in the Atlantic, basically. And we'll go maybe 10 miles offshore so we can still see the shoreline. But then you turn at, at this place called Monomoy and you go through a channel and you head straight to Nantucket. But that's a good five and a half to six hour cruise. When you're doing that, that's half your day, right? So we wanna stay in Nantucket for a good couple of weeks and enjoy the place. So you're not doing any, hey, we're gonna go down the Atlantic, down up around Florida into the Gulf to head down to Belize. We're not doing that type of... Not yet. <laughs> We've been talking about it now that, you know, I'm just doing music i mean we have thoughts of taking a boat to florida for the winter months for example the boat can the boat actually we bought it in florida and we had a captain bring it up the coast to us so the so, boat is is capable of doing it it's just a timing thing when i was working in the software world you know i didn't have the time to do that because it takes a good week to week and a half to go from here to florida in the boat well i got a tip for you should you ever decide to do that starlink yes starlink <laughs> absolutely you know a lot of people like to give elon musk uh, uh you know they like to give him grief because he's not the most eloquent man um <laughs> a lot but so you laugh but what a lot of people don't realize is he has asperger's yeah i didn't know right? that yeah, he does. So, huh. I mean, a lot of his inside thoughts that we all have don't, I mean, anyone that sits there says, I would never think something like that. You're a freaking liar, right? I mean, everyone has their inside thoughts. Um, sometimes for him, they just come out. Wow. And when you're the, when you're the richest man in the world, <laughs> I mean, you don't have to care. That's right? true. You really don't. Um, 
and he's done some amazing things. And I'm not even a fanboy of him, but I mean, he did, you know, PayPal, Tesla, and Starlink, yeah. and SpaceX, and all these things that people don't realize that, you know, he may not be the engineer that's doing the math, but it's his vision that's driving a lot of the most interesting technology that's going to change our lives in the next decade. Yeah. Oh, there's no question. No question at all. Um, all right. So you, you've been a founder, president, keyboardist, but you're also a founder in the keyboardist role, right? Yes. Um, what is it? Oh, this is actually our, my producer just gave me this one. This is a really good one because it's something that you and I have both gone through. How has your adjustment been from going from working for someone else to working for yourself? That's an interesting question. Um, you got to remember when, when, when I was in channel sales for years, it, when you're in sales, you're, you're kind of working for yourself to, to a point. I mean, you're, 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 you're doing the things that you hope will result in a sale that will result in income. Right. Right. Um, although your time could be, you know, directed by other people at certain times. Um, I, I didn't have a, a major trans. It's funny. I, I can honestly say I didn't have a major transition going to work for myself. Um, I thought I would, but I, I think probably the, the biggest hurdle I had is being responsible now for everything when it mm -hmm. comes to this, this band. Before I didn't have, you know, I would be responsible for myself. I'd go sell software and I'd make money. All right. So I do the things necessary to sell software, but ultimately I didn't have to do any of the back end stuff. You know, I submit an order, somebody else pro sales ops, you know, processes everything, right? Uh, prospecting, a lot of marketing was done and then I'd get a call or I'd do some prospecting myself too. But in the band, I have to kind of do everything now. And that was, that's probably the biggest challenge that I've had is I'm now responsible for five other people in the band and their income, which yep. is interesting. Uh, plus myself too. But um, as far as, you know, the actual work, I've always been one of those people that, you know, kind of, um, you know, doing my own destiny kind of thing. So if you, if you want to be good at sales, you got to sell a lot, you got to go out and you got to do, you got to hunt, you got to prospect, you got to do this. And then you got to close, close the business. So I've always been that kind of a person. Uh, and I'm doing the same thing in, in music as well. I try to find the venues, work with the artists, work with the venues, work with the promoters and buyers and agents that book us. So that's, that's it. Yeah. In a nutshell. I would agree. I mean, for me, it was a little different. Um, I had to try to learn how to be an employee to which I failed. Um, I started my first business when I was 12. Um, nice. Yeah. yeah. Mowing lawns, right? I, I was <laughs> living in San Diego and I said to my mother and my stepfather, I want money. Uh, how about an allowance? And they said, how about you go earn it? So I did. 
And uh, I went from that to I worked in a dry cleaner. That lasted exactly one week because I was working for somebody. And then I got into the highly lucrative gig of chop shopping bicycles. <laughs> um, it's true. Uh, uh, that lasted for a little while. And then I uh, moved to Oregon, where I got into the highly lucrative gig of installing car stereos. I don't know where the car stereos came from, but I wow. was installing them. Um, and I say that because I knew where some of them came from, and it was not necessarily a legitimate purchase. But I wasn't doing it as like I did the bicycles when I was younger. And I just kept doing this. And what happened was... Uh, I mean, I even worked at a bookstore. There's a bookstore in Oregon called Powell's. It's actually the largest freestanding bookstore in the world. Um, and good managers learn the strengths of their team, and they put up guardrails, but then they let people do what they do. The bookstore did that for me. They They figured out, hey, just tell him what he can and cannot do. Whatever he does in the middle, just let him do it. And they let me do that. And I was actually fairly successful there. Uh, and that was actually my last gig before I got into uh, you know, technology. And in fact, drove my uh, technology career because I ended up being in charge of the computer book section and ended up reading all the computer books. And then I got hired when I sold a book to a guy who had a little build your PC networking shop back in the Nobel netware days. Um, so for me, the hardest part was I was never a successful employee because I was always trying to push beyond what an employee is supposed to push beyond. So when I became my own boss, what I had to learn, uh, and, and actually through all of that, because I got wrapped up in some virtual, uh, venture capital stuff and things like that. Uh, what I learned when we, when I finally broke away, when I got fired from my last job and I broke away and, and launched command prompt full time. I learned two things. One, have a good lawyer. Two, have a good CPA. You have those two things. All you have to do is make money. <laughs> um, and I pay. I mean, I've had the same CPA and the same lawyer firm since the beginning. They're the same ones. Wow. Uh, which wow. has enabled me to limit my liability mistakes we, you know, we've been able to do like no debt. We have no debt. CPA has always advised us on how to handle that, make sure we're cutting payroll right and all those types of things. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to your point of being in, in, you know, responsible for people, it's one thing when, it, you know, and Amanda and I have this conversation often. It's one thing when you're in charge of making the money for your family if you're a single income earner or if you're your wife and you are in charge in a, in a dual income household you're responsible for you your wife your kids and vice versa right it's entirely another when you have 20 families that are relying on you and one of the most frustrating things that i see and i've seen it throughout my entire career it's not new but it's gotten worse uh, over the past decade is people thinking that all these companies are just out to make money, that it is not a exceedingly personal decision to lay people off. Um, now I'm sure some companies 
I, in fact, I know that some companies you're just, you know, you're not even an asset. You're a cost. You're a cost center. You're cutting costs so you lay people off. Yeah. But they're by far the majority of companies out there. If we're not talking about Google or Facebook or Apple or Amazon who can afford to just churn people. When you're talking about, you know, the 20 to 50, the 100 person firms, the ones that actually drive the economy, the majority of the economy. These people aren't out there saying, eh, we don't need you. They're staying up late at night trying to figure out how they, how they make sure they pay you no matter what. Yeah. You know, um, and it's it, it can be very challenging. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's funny you say that because in, in, in my world now, there's <laughs> six of us in the band. Plus we have six musicians. Then we have a merchandise person that comes, our seller. He sells our merchandise. And we have another individual that comes and uh, if he can drive the truck, move the equipment, help us move the equipment and all that stuff. So the couple of decisions I've had to make over the years is replacing some musicians. And that's, that's a hard thing to do because one thing about a band that's good is they remain consistent. The players are in place. They, they, practice their show their routines they're good players so it's it's very hard to make a decision to replace something which i had to do a couple years ago and to replace our singer uh he became you know problematic but he also got married moved to florida so there was a distance mm -hmm. issue but also became problem problematic and and i to sing journey and foreigners very very difficult for any singer to do to do that music, as you can imagine, the vocals are it's quite intense. a range. And we just happen to luck out finding Constantine. And 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 that was and, and I was nervous about having to replace the singer because I the first thing I thought it was, oh my God, you know, what's gonna happen to our show? Well, whoever we get, are they gonna be as good? You know, and it's there was a lot of singers we auditioned, and I we just said no, no, we, he, you're just not a fit. And so those things I worry about on a daily basis is God forbid we have to replace somebody, or somebody gets hurt, or something, or they quit, right? Because you when you got people, they may find something better and leave, right? So I'm always nervous about having to replace, and because it's just, it's only six people. And we all play an individual part. You got bass, drums, singer, you know, sax player, keyboards, and you just can't get anyone to fill those roles. It's it's hard. Well, especially with a band. I mean, there's a certain relationship and trust that gets built. You learn your cues and your timing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think back to the police, for example, right? Um, you know, they had a couple albums were big hits, but they ended up hating each other. Yeah. And that's why yeah. Sting went out on his own. Uh, yeah. Van Halen, uh, you know, rest, God bless his soul. He, we lost yeah. him last year. Um, he went through, you know, two, three major lead singers. Um, I would argue that the, the first one with David Lee Roth, that, that was just egos clashing right i mean they'd become top of the world and then sammy yeah and then sammy hagar um you know who i 
appreciate quite a bit, but you know, he was not clean and they were trying to get clean. Um, and then I, I forget who the last one was. He was like a, I don't remember. I mean, that's how memorable he was. I have no idea who he was. He played yeah, I, for I, some I... one-off band and he did one album with them and then they fired him. Um, and then David Lee Roth came back for a short yeah, stint. Yeah. Right. Well, Journey uh, went through that. Journey went through that yeah. in the 90s. It's, Steve, Steve Perry retired, basically. Yeah. And they went through Steve Algieri, Jeff Cotsoto. Uh, they, they, there was another one in between. I can't even remember. Then even Dean Castronova on drums sang for a while. Incredible voice. Who's still playing drums with them? Um, and then they got Arnel Panetta from the Philippines. And that was a YouTube thing. He found him on YouTube. But imagine trying to replace Steve Perry on vocals. And well, no, no one's kidding. ever matched him. No one's matched well, him. But he, close. but he retired. If I remember correctly, he retired for health issues. He had to get a hip replaced or something like that. Yeah, he did. But there's there's more than meets the eye. He had some conflicts with Neil Sean, the guitar player. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, it's always personalities, right? It's it's if they clash, you know, you can't keep a band together. It just doesn't work. You can't go on stage and hate each other. It just doesn't work. Right. <laughs> no, that does not work. All right. Well, as we close as we close this out, I got a final question for you here. What is your advice? I mean, you have this great opportunity in life and that you have serviced the corporate world to your benefit. Uh, and now you're getting to do a passion project to your benefit. That's paying the bills. You still get to have your 50 foot boat. What is, <laughs> what is the advice for anyone looking to pivot in their career to shift? What would your advice be? The, the very first thing is if you're going to make a shift, make sure it's a shift. That's something you are passionate about. Because if you're not passionate about it, there's a good chance that you won't succeed on the other end. So you've got to, you've got to, you know, passion can consist of living and breathing and loving exactly what you do. Um, and because and I, I did that only because I've always loved music. And even though I still move equipment at my age, even though I still handle the accounting and the business stuff, and pay the, I, when I get up and play on stage, it's like a breath of fresh air and I super enjoy it. So my big advice would be, if you're gonna make a change, make sure it's something that you extremely are passionate about because you'll be leaving something that's kind of comfortable, right? A steady paycheck, you know, that kind of thing. So, especially if you're gonna start a business or go into the music business like like I did full time. Um, that would be my my big advice. Well, I would say to add on to that, um, doing something you want to do, you have a passion for is absolutely, I agree with you. But a key point here is you might actually be successful doing something that you don't like, but then you're unhappy. And the problem, it's not that we don't, I mean, in the music industry, we have bad days. In the postgres industry, we have bad days. It's not that you're happy all the time or that you enjoy everything that you're doing. But we have to remember that everything is connected. 
And if you are doing something that you truly do not have passion about and you are unhappy, your relationships are unhappy. That puts stress on the relationships that those relationships have. It's all connected. Correct. And so although I'm not suggesting that anybody just, you know, quit their job and go be a bongo player. Okay. That's, you know, even Matthew McConaughey, right. When he, he went through a stint where, you know, he gave up on the rom-coms. He actually enjoyed doing the rom-coms, but he wanted to stretch himself and do more. And that's when he ended up, for example, getting his Oscar. Um, he took a center focus toward staying true to himself and trying to find passion and enjoyment in what he was doing. He never did anything specifically that he did not like. Right. Like it'd be like me going and saying, well, I'm not making enough running command prompts. So I'm going to go be a car salesman. Would I be good at it? Oh, yeah. Would I like it? No. (laughs) It would make people around me miserable. Right. And with that, this has been more than a refresh, a podcast about data and the people who wrangle it. Our guest today was Paul Kachansky. If you get an opportunity to see Foreigner's Journey, I recommend it. If nothing else, you get to see another old man on stage pretending he's 30. (laughs) oh i love it foreignersjourney.com foreignersjourney.com